0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just look to you. You alone have the words of life. No one else. You alone. Your word is life. And the entrance of your word brings light. So this morning, Father, we put aside everything else. Everything else, Lord, we put this aside. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Oh, Father, give us understanding. Give us hearing ears. Give us a mind that understands. Give us a will that obeys. Give us strength that our body may walk in obedience and give us that joy to see that our Father in Heaven is glorified in everything that we do. Help us, Father. Help us. Be with us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last few weeks we've been looking at from Scripture that Jesus had told in His Sermon on the Mount he said, on that, all that who say, my Lord, my Lord, he said, will not enter into the kingdom of God, he said. So you have to always relate scripture with the rest of scripture. Because in the book of Romans, scripture says, if any man believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, he is saved. Then Jesus himself says, everyone who says, my Lord, my Lord will not enter into the kingdom of God, but only who does the will of God. Only who does. Because the very statement lordship means you have surrendered your will, you are subject to another's will. That's why you have to put this together. Okay? When you say my Lord, that means you are subject to somebody else's will. And Jesus himself about him in the book of Hebrews, scripture says, when he came, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O Father. So we have the general will of God, specific will of God, the purpose of God. We've been looking at it all. But it all begins from primarily knowing our identity. Who are we? Who are we? Who is our Father? So when Jesus was asked by his disciples... Teach us to pray. He begins, not the way you would think, He begins with this premise. You need to get this first. My Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Everything is dependent upon that. Who Know who you are. Know whose son you are, whose daughter you are. Know about the king, know about his kingdom. It is from there it all flows. We know who we are. We are surrendered to his will and then he reveals his purposes in our life. And then we ask for power because we realize we cannot do his will in our strength. Without his power it is not possible. In our human strength we can do a lot of things in this world. But in the kingdom of God we cannot do anything without his power. That's why even to his disciples who have been walked with him for three and a half years, he tells them, wait in Jerusalem until you have received power from above. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. That's how the gospel is preached. That's how the kingdom. But we also know, when Jesus walked on earth, so many people, came to him. And he had compassion on all of the crowds. So many people cried out to him. And he always had this question to them. He asked this question, What do you want? What do you want? Interesting, no? know? God always asks, What do you want? If God were to ask you, What do you want? What would be our answer? What do you want? I remember as a child, you know, whenever my mother used to ask my late father, she used to ask, What do you want? She meant Breakfast or lunch. His standard reply was used to be, I I want an ambassador car. She asked about breakfast and he would say, I want a car. So if God were to ask you, what do you want? What would we say? If God were to ask us, ask whatever you want, what would we say? As far as I know from scripture, it is to only one man. God asks. You can ask whatever you want. Whatever you want. Just one man. So today we will look at that portion then we will go from there. It's found in First Kings chapter 3 and verses 4 to 14. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a Thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask, what shall I give you? Shall we come down? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David my father because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it, it is this day. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. That's said. it. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Keep, keep scrolling. Yeah. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. God said, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked. Yes, you move too fast. Both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. The last verse. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. That's how he became the greatest king ever known in human history. In wisdom, in splendor, in majesty, in wealth, in everything. So the question is, here is a young man. it's a young man, very young man, king. And is given a choice by God. What do you want? Ask, what do you want? What do you want? And his answer in verse 9 is, he said, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Give me a heart that understands. Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. If you remember, his prayer is so similar to the prayer of Moses. Moses also had only one prayer for himself. We'll come that to that later. We'll refer that to that later. Only one prayer of Moses. God is so pleased with his prayer. So pleased. He says, you know what? Your prayer, at the core of it, in your prayer, you are seeking the kingdom And his righteousness. That's what you are seeking. When you are asking for understanding heart. To judge your people. To discern between good and evil. So that justice will come in this land. Because these people are your people. Not my people. Your people. So give me an understanding heart. That I discern between evil and good. And then I make my judgments. When I rule. The justice of God. The righteousness of God is established. You know, in Matthew 6, God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things. And in verse 13 and 14, God does exactly the same for, for Solomon, where he tells him, because you asked for this, I am also giving you what you have not asked. Both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. You ask for wisdom. You ask for an understanding heart. You ask for this. It pleases me, your prayer. So I'm going to ask you what you did not ask. I am going to give you both riches and honor. And I am also going to see your, your, you. you are, there will be no one like you. Only one condition. Every promise of God is conditional. Remember, every promise of God is conditional. Walk in my ways like your father did. Then I will also lengthen your days. I will also add long life. Long life, he says. So, if you walk... In my ways. I want to stop there for a minute. He's asking for something which probably none of us would ever ask. Unless we are facing exams. We always look at knowledge and wisdom connected with exams. Here is a king saying that real knowledge, real wisdom, real understanding. Is how to discern between what is good and what is evil. Without that we will not know. So many people struggle with grey areas. If it's black, they know. If it's white, they know. But when it is gray, and much of life is gray. And we are not able to know why is it gray, because we do not have discernment to know what is evil and what is righteous in that gray area. That's why an English, brain is called gray matter. It's all gray. See? What did this man ask for? God were to ask us, what do you want? And Solomon, you will see over there, God in verse 14 says, if you choose. Meaning with all the wisdom and the knowledge and the discernment, you still have the choice to choose evil or good. God doesn't take your choice away. Please don't everything with you, all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all the understanding. If I have it, I will not fall away. No, you can still fall away like Solomon fell away because your free will is still untouched. So you still, with all this knowledge, still have to choose and choose right. We can go to God overwhelmed by our needs, temporal needs. And God understands. He compassionate towards us. Almost all the needs here are temporal needs. Very temporary. Including marriage. It's a temporal need. I have never heard a marriage vow which, which says that I am married to you forever and ever. Until death do. But God says, we saw that on the engagement in Hosea 2, 19 and 20. I am betrothed to you forever. Forever. You can't say that to your fiancée or your wife. I am married to you forever. Because God says in heaven there is no marriage. You'll be like angels. No marriage there. So. We have temporal needs. And we are overwhelmed by it. Nothing. There is nothing wrong with earthly concerns. And asking God for help. But always remember. They are temporary. There are more important. Eternal concerns. That is the kingdom of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. All that we see will pass away. This world is passing away. And finally this entire world. Scripture says in the book of Revelation. All the kingdoms of this world. Will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Then. How do we pray? Why do we pray? How do we pray? Listen, in verse 6, how Solomon prays. In verse 6, Solomon will say, Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart, with you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on this throne as it is this day. The first thing when he is asked to choose, What he declares is God's mercy, God's goodness, God's kindness to him. King David had many sons. King David had many sons. Why is Solomon on the throne? He hadn't done anything to deserve the throne. It was a choice that was made without him having any part in it. Technically, he probably was the youngest, or one of the youngest of the sons. He had no right to the throne, if you go by line of succession. How did he become king? Because it was a choice that was made for him, not by him. In this morning, when we sit over here, all those who are saved, do you see salvation as an act of kindness? Do you see salvation act of mercy? Like we are now in a college auditorium. Outside there are plenty of people outside, young people when you're coming and you may look and say, I'm better than them. See they are perishing outside while I am saved inside. God says you are here because of my mercy. Because of my kindness. Not that you deserved salvation. Nobody deserves salvation. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, scripture says, we repent. Yeah. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, patience, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Just the goodness of God. Goodness of God that lead us to repentance. Our salvation is because of God's goodness and of his mercy and his long suffering and his kindness. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, scripture says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We were chosen before we were born. We had nothing to do with it. And in his kindness, he saved us. And in Romans 8, verse 17 says, In his kindness, he saved us. In his predestination he chose us and in verse 17 says if we are now his children then we are heirs with Christ. We are heirs to the throne. That's what Solomon is saying. My father walk before you in righteousness. And you are showing me mercy because of him and you have given him a son to sit on the throne. Your and my eternal father, the Lord Jesus Christ, walk before God in a righteousness. Therefore, he showed mercy to you and to me. And he says, positionally, he has given a whole lot of heirs to sit on the throne. It is not a right. It's an act of mercy. It's not a right. Because often we go before people, before God, based on rights. But the fact is, we are here and will be always before God because of mercy. Why should David become king? Jesse had eight sons. It's an act of God. Why should you and I be here? It's an act of mercy of God. Everyone who has experienced the mercy of God in salvation, also should remember you are in line for a throne and for a crown. Everyone sitting here. If you run your race faithfully, and crucify every fleshly desire, and allow Christ to complete his work in you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 and 25 says, you will have that incorruptible, imperishable crown. You will get it. Everybody here will get it. If you do your part. You are in line for a crown. Everybody. Every child of God is in line for this. But condition is this. Run your race. Crucify every fleshly desire. Allow God to do it. And you volunteer. Cooperate with Him. If you understand the last Sunday's message... That God is more interested in souls and his cry is for souls and his hunger is for the salvation of souls. You get your father's heart and your father's passion and your father's power and keep winning souls. Then scripture says in Daniel twelve three, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who turn people to salvation will shine in glory in heaven. And in First Thessalonians, Paul will explain it better in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. He will say, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? See, these are all things which we feel. In heaven, because it's a spiritual raven, even what you feel will be manifested as glory. There's nothing hidden in heaven. Now, I do not know what you are feeling, but God knows what you are feeling. It is not hidden, meaning he can see your feeling. Sarah laughed in her mind when God visited Abraham's tent and he asked, why did you laugh? She didn't make any sound. God heard the laughter in her heart. Why did you laugh? So understand, because we are so caught in the physical realm, we don't understand what the spiritual realm is. The crown of rejoicing. What is the crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying, you know what? At that day, you will see my crown of joy. Because of all those God enabled me to bring into the kingdom. As stars differ in glory, the glory of Paul will blind us. Men of God who have brought in millions into the kingdom, their glory will blind us because they know, they understand what you are in line for. Those who endure. You face trials and temptations in the power of God. You endure. And James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. These are different crowns. These are not the same crowns. He will receive the crown of life. To the church in Smyrna, God will exactly tell them. This is a church that is praying because they are going through incredible persecution. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works. I know your tribulation. And it come forward. You are going through persecution. You are going through terrible pain. Terrible trials. And you have lost everything for the sake of the kingdom. But spiritually you are incredibly rich. And know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not and are a synagogue of Satan. And verse 10 and 11. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. It's a period of time, 10 years. I don't know, 20 years, 30 years. We do not know. He says, I'm not going to free you. You're going to be going into prison. Many of you will die in prison. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Don't buckle under pressure. You may have to die for your faith. Remain faithful unto death. You will receive the crown of life. And those who long for the appearing of Christ Jesus and therefore live righteously, living in the light of judgment, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Everyone. I mean, if you know Jesus is coming today, one thing you will always see is that your balance sheet is correct. Ask anybody who does accounts. If you know the chartered accountant is coming or the income tax officer is coming, your balance sheet tallies. Tallies. You live in the light of his coming. Everybody who is longing for the appearing of Jesus Christ. How do you know you are waiting for Jesus? God says it will show. It will show. They will receive what? The crown of righteousness. So... There is a throne, there is one who walked in righteousness before us, that is Jesus Christ. And there are heirs to the throne and there are different crowns. And then there is a crown which you will not get unless God changes your call. But Vijay and I in this church are in the race for it. I mean we are not competing with each other, but we are competing. It's found in 1st Peter chapter 5 verses 2 to 4. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is only for shepherds. So if everybody is looking, you can have multiple crowns. You can have four crowns. We can have five crowns. But he is crowned with Many crowns. So once we see God's goodness in choosing us, not only choosing us, putting us in a race for the throne, for the crown. Then we need to realize also our real state as Solomon saw his real state. In chapter 3 and verse 7, this is what Solomon says. He says, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. He's not a little child. Not a little child. He's a big man. Very powerful man. Very smart man. Incredibly wise man. Before God gave him the gift of wisdom, he's already an extremely wise man. Because he's been trained by his father who was an incredibly godly man. He had listened to the counsel of his father, never disregarded the counsel of his father, never disobeyed his father, never dishonored his father. So automatically the promises of God was coming to pass in his life and he's an incredibly knowledgeable man. But when he stands before God, he says, I'm just like a little child before you. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know. I don't know. Usually when we stand before God, we are trying to tell him how much we know. Isn't that our prayer request? Lord, this, 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 this. Now put your signature, please. I already know what I want because I know you don't know what I want. Here is this incredible young man, king of Israel, standing before God and says, I don't know. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know. Therefore I pray. We usually pray according to how we perceive, how we see. God is listening to our prayers. I'm not saying God is answering our prayers. I said God is listening to our prayers because our prayers will tell us how we see life. And this man's prayer is telling him, Lord, this is who you are. This is who I am. Answer me, Lord. That's why Paul will pray and teach us to pray. Ephesians 1 and verse 18, he will say that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. What is he saying? Lord, give me an understanding heart. Give me an understanding mind that I may discern what is evil and good. Give me understanding. And Paul says, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of his saints. He says, if only our eyes were open to eternity, our entire Life would change. The way we live our lives, the way we focus our life, the purpose of our life, everything will change. There will be nothing in our life that would be untouched because a glimpse into eternity will change everything. Usually that happens to most people when they are very close to death. But this is a young man, very young man. Solomon saw his true state and the enormity of God's call. The problem is our eyes are often blinded to our true state and our true needs. That is the church of the last days. To the final church, Revelation chapter 3 verse 15 and 18. In verse 15 you will see, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. They were not aware of their own works, their deeds. Are we aware of our weeks? We may think our works are very hot, but God says they are lukewarm. We may think it's blazing. God says it is cold. He says, I know your works. You don't know your works. You don't know your works. They're all, this is written to the church of the last days. You don't know your works. You don't know your deeds. You don't know the actual state. In verse 17, he will say, yeah, let's go to verse 17. You don't know your real state. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Perception. Temporal perception when you look at it, I am wealthy. I have need for nothing. And God says the fact is that you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you have naked. Even your covering of righteousness has gone. You are just covered with the fig leaf of religion. And you are not even aware of it. You don't know about the truth of your needs. You don't know the truth of your deeds. And then in verse 16 says. Verse 16, not 15. Verse 16, God says. You are not even aware of your end. If I were not to tell you, if you don't change, I will vomit you out of my mouth straight into the tribulation. Only fire can save you. Into the hands of the Antichrist or last church, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You are not even aware of your end. That's why this young man says, Lord, open my eyes. God asked Solomon asked what do you want. And Solomon asks what God wants for him. That's why God is so pleased with him. When we were given a choice, Lord, what do you want? you will say, Lord, give me a wife. Give me a job. Give me marks. This man says no. Give me discernment. Give me understanding. Because I understand the nature of your call. He asks what God actually wants to give him. God is pleased with his prayer. As he was pleased with Moses' prayer. What did Moses pray? Remember his first prayer three months after he brought Israel into the wilderness in Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. 13. This is what Moses prayed. Therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and might find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. He says, God, the issue here is these are your people. When I was in Egypt, the wisdom of Egypt was enough. But now it's a different paradigm shift altogether. It's a different ball game altogether. These are your people. They have to be led in your ways. Therefore, Lord, I pray, teach me your way. Exactly what Solomon says. Solomon says, these people are so numerous. These are your people. Therefore, oh God, I need wisdom and discernment. Now let me ask, who do you think you are? Who do you think you belong to? We don't belong to the world. Scripture is very clear. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the king. In that case to rule our own lives. Do we need discernment? Do we need understanding? Do we? That's what Solomon prays. In chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. We need an understanding heart not to judge people in our situation. We need an understanding, discerning heart to judge ourselves. Lord, show me how to discern what is good, what is evil. In Hosea and 4-6, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of Knowledge. That's where it begins. Okay? It doesn't begin with understanding and discernment. It begins with knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Without knowledge, you cannot have wisdom. Knowledge, wisdom and understanding are three different things. They're not the same. It begins with knowledge. In the secular world, in this world, you know if you want to work in a particular place, what you need is knowledge. That's what you specialize in, knowledge. You can have knowledge without wisdom. Wisdom is the right use or the right application of knowledge. I read a story about a new freshly passed out engineer who got a job in a big company and he was manager for production. He went to that place, his head was full of knowledge. He went to that place, the systems are working, he looks over there, there is a problem suddenly, and he has no clue what to do. And he's in charge. Somebody nudges him and says, call that old foreman. We never went to engineering college. He said, call him. And he called him and says, can you fix it? He said, yeah. It's fixed. He had wisdom. He had knowledge and he had wisdom. He knew how to apply it. In what situation to apply this knowledge? Wisdom is the right use or application of knowledge. First we need the knowledge. Now when you come back to the kingdom of God, we need the knowledge of the word of God. Wisdom is to know how to apply the knowledge of the word of God. People do not perish because they have no wisdom, but because they have no knowledge. In the first place, they have no knowledge at all. So how can God give them wisdom? To write a sentence or a word, you need to know your alphabets. Nobody teaches you words first. They teach you alphabets first. You do not learn wisdom in a university. You do not get it. In a university you only get knowledge. Secular knowledge. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, God says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And we will say, Lord, give me wisdom. And we say, I prayed, nothing happened. God says, You know, son, you don't have knowledge first. You don't have knowledge first. I want to give you wisdom. But, first you need knowledge. Knowledge can be passed on. Wisdom cannot. Wisdom cannot be passed on. Knowledge can be passed on. Wisdom cannot be passed on. Knowledge has its limitations. It is bound by time. In First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, Scripture says, where th- there is knowledge, it will pass away. It will pass away. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Even, I will give you examples to get the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge will pass away. In your mind, think about a doctor, a physician from the 18th century. Which century? 18th century. Take him and put him in the operation theater at Apollo. He will look there, absolutely no clue what to do. Why? Because his knowledge has vanished. It has no relevance today. But the fundamental applications of that knowledge in wisdom still continues. The knowledge has no application. Knowledge can be passed on. But knowledge will keep passing away. And scripture says when the imperfect becomes perfect in the twinkling of an eye when rapture takes place, all knowledge will pass away because we will then understand what is truth. Knowledge will have no relevance. Proverbs 24 verses 3 and 4. Through wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is written later by this young man who asked for all this, okay? Those who have knowledge are able to collect, remember, access information. And if you apply this to scripture, They know their scriptures. Therefore they are scholars. But without wisdom or understanding. It is useless. And actually it could become dangerous. And first Corinthians chapter 8. And verse 1 says. Knowledge puffs up. That is one of the reasons. Scripture is always careful to see do not put a young believer into a position of leadership because he may have knowledge but he has no wisdom. And pride comes in, puffs off A sign of knowledge without wisdom is this. And all our young children know what happens when you go to the bakery and you buy puff. Why is it called puff? Because it is like a there's nothing inside. It's all puffed up. Nothing inside. Under hawa hai. Puffs up. You have knowledge. You have knowledge. And knowledge without wisdom is very, very dangerous. The Pharisees in Jesus' time had knowledge. Incredible knowledge. They had knowledge but they did not have wisdom. But they had knowledge. The information was very correct. They had collected the information, worked hard to collect the information, memorized the information, and they had access to that information, but they did not have wisdom. Therefore, in Matthew 23 and verse 2, God will say, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and he said, listen to them. But don't do what they do, because they don't know how to apply the knowledge they have gained. Don't do what they do. They have knowledge, But they do not have wisdom. They did not. So God Jesus said don't imitate them. Those who have understanding. Are able to extract meaning out of knowledge. Meaning out of knowledge. You need to remember. When Jesus was with his disciples for three and a half years. He taught them. He was a rabbi. What did they call him? Teacher. Rabbi. And he taught them. And they had so much knowledge inside. But they understood nothing. They understood nothing. Therefore, when he rose from the dead, after the resurrection, he meets his disciples and takes another class. This time it is different. In Matthew 24, 44 and 45. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He says, when I was with you, before resurrection, when I was with you, I taught you all these things. Do you understand? He said, no. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend scripture. Open their understanding. Then they understood. Unless God opens our understanding, we have knowledge of Scripture, but we do not have understanding of Scripture. How do you know you have understanding of Scripture? It is this. The entire Bible is about Him. When you read your daily reading, what did you see today? Whom did you meet there today? Did you meet Christ? Did you know it was about him? This is about me. That's why the Pharisees had incredible knowledge and God is standing before them and they couldn't understand. Their knowledge was worth nothing because they did not have understanding. So when you rose from the dead, scripture says you open their understanding. Knowledge and understanding. This is what Dave, uh, Solomon is praying. Wisdom on the other hand, Is God to do with what principle to apply now? Wisdom is now. Like faith is now. Hope is for the future. And peace is connected with the past. Wisdom is now. Understanding without wisdom can be contradictory. You have understanding. You have knowledge. You have understanding. But you can still be confused if you do not have wisdom. I will show it to you from scripture. In Proverbs 26... Verse 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You break your head over this. Now what is this law? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. And next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly. Meaning you have understanding. Both are true. You have to apply it according to the fool. You have to apply it according to the? fool. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise you will be like him. But sometimes you have to answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Do you see? You look at it, you have wisdom, you have understanding, sorry, you have knowledge, you have understanding But now you need wisdom, Lord. Give me wisdom. This is fool coming in here. He is speaking. Which one do I apply here? God says, for this fool, it is verse 4. Next day you meet another fool. He says, this one, it is verse 5. Application. So you can have knowledge and understanding, yet do the wrong thing. That is why we need wisdom. That is why Solomon is praying this incredible prayer. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And also remember about wisdom, knowledge and understanding. In the book of Romans, Paul will say, zeal without wisdom or without knowledge. You can have incredible zeal, passion for God without wisdom. Simple. Example in a very famous book, I forgot the title of the book. A mother is feeding her child meat three times a day, all the days of the week. Because she loves a baby and she wants a baby to be strong. Then she reads and hears and understands that other diets also have to be supplemented with it, which is good for the baby. So now she changes his diet altogether. Now let me ask you, did she love the baby more before or after? No, she loved the baby the same way. She loved the baby the same way. only thing she had zeal before and after, only thing she did not have, wisdom. A lot of people have zeal for Christ. But they do not have wisdom. They do not have zeal. So zeal alone is not enough. Knowledge is important. Many wives sitting here and to be wives may have incredible passion and zeal to please your husband. But the question is do you have knowledge about your husband? We have incredible zeal for God, but the question is, do we have knowledge of God? That's where Scripture says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." Please God, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. God says, "I don't, <laughs> I don't contradict your zeal at all. I know you, were, you are zealous for me. I know that, but the problem is, I'm not pleased with you because your zeal is not in accordance to knowledge or wisdom." Get these principles, why this young man is praying this way. You can have knowledge, you can have understanding, but you and I need wisdom and then we need zeal. Ask for wisdom. Wisdom is the goal. Knowledge and understanding have eternal value only if it results in wisdom. Knowledge will make you a scholar. Understanding will make you a teacher. Wisdom will make you a prophet. Jesus was a scholar. Jesus was a teacher. And Jesus was the prophet. You need knowledge. You need understanding. We need wisdom. And Solomon was wise. In that he asked for wisdom. You will see the effect of that prayer. And the answer to that prayer immediately. First. Where does it see? Learn these applications. You look at this man, he's standing before God in Gibeah and he's praying. In First Kings, before the prayer, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there, that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him. Gibeah is far away. It's not in Jerusalem. Gibeah was the place where the ark had remained for years and years till David had brought it to Jerusalem. And because the ark had remained in Gibeah, they had built the tabernacle there. And all the people would go to Gibeah to worship, to worship, to worship. And then David went and took the ark of the covenant from there and brought it to Jerusalem. But the tabernacle is still standing and the people still go to Gibeah. So Solomon went to Gibeah and the Lord appeared to him and he asked, what do you want? He says, give me understanding, give me wisdom. And he prayed and God gave him. And scripture says, what happened at the end? After in verse 15. Solomon awoke and indeed it had been a dream. Where did he dream? In Gibeah. Just a dream. In a dream, God came to him and told him all these things. And he came to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. What touched him as soon understanding and wisdom came? The first thing that touched him is his worship. Before he had understanding and wisdom, with the knowledge he also went to the high place in Gibeah and worshipped. But the ark of God is not there. As soon as the eyes opened, he realized, this is where I need to go. This is where the ark, the presence of God in the old covenant is symbolized by the ark of the covenant. Why are you worshipping in a place which is God? the trappings of religion without the presence of God? It touches your worship first. And I pray God, touch the eyes of Christians all over the world. Because most Christians are still worshipping in Gibeah after the presence of God has left those places. The trappings of religion, the trappings of reading from a book, praying from a book, it's all religion. No presence of God is in there at all. As soon as eyes are open, he goes to Jerusalem and he starts worshipping in Jerusalem because he realizes this is where he really is. It touches your worship first first thing that is touched when you have this re- understanding because Jesus told this Samaritan woman a time and a day is coming and has come where true worshippers will worship me in spirit and in truth spirit and in truth true worshippers eyes are open and they realize this is where God is This is the way God wants to be worshipped. This is the way to please God. This is the will of God. And everything centers around God. For that we need understanding. For that we need wisdom. Immediately, as soon as his prayer is answered and he does all this thing, interestingly, the Bible gives an incident where his understanding and his wisdom is going to be tested. It's an incident when it brought before the king. So it to be brought before the king, if you know Israel's order, there are many, 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 many orders. So to reach the top, it means none of the judges below could handle it. So it has reached the Supreme Court. But in kingdoms, if you know, modern kingdoms too, after reaching everywhere, it can still come to the king. When everybody fails, it comes to the king. So it has come to the king. What is the issue? Simple issue, but very complicated. Two women who were harlots, meaning prostitutes, came to the king and stood before him. First statement. It's interesting, right? God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. We'll say, God, if you want to give an example of wisdom and understanding, bring some smart people. Why bring two harlots? Because when it comes to justice, God says, eyes are blind. Even harlots deserve justice from the king. The law doesn't look who you are. The purpose of the law, before the eyes of the law, everyone is equal. Everyone deserves justice. That is why the ground at the foot of the cross is leavened. The prostitute and the prince will be judged by one fact and one fact alone. Did you turn from your sin and look to Jesus as your savior? That's all. It doesn't matter who you are. Salvation is also level. Both the prostitute and the prince will get a king's welcome if they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've told you this example about the church in Britain and Mount Mountbatten and his entourage we are worshipping and it was communion time. If you know in the Anglican church they all go kneel there and the priest will giving the communion and Mountbatten had knelt over there and a drunk was sitting over there a poor beggar or drunk or whatever he also came and knelt and the soldier said please move it's Lord Mountbatten and Lord Mountbatten put his arm around him and said sir please continue we are all equal here. The foot of the cross Everyone is equal. That's why God in his wisdom and his understanding and his sense of righteousness brings an issue where two harlots are coming to the king for justice. For justice. For justice. It's God. Yes, it is man and man's problem who have brought them to the king, but he's testing Solomon too. Solomon, you ask for wisdom. You ask for understanding. And I'm going to send two prostitutes before you. Let me see whether you have real understanding. Divine understanding. Or whether you will say, prostitutes. send them to the lower court. I have no time to handle them. They stand before him. Now let us look at the case. One woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. And verse 18. Yeah, let's go. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. You have to remember in the Bible everything happens on the third day. Because on the third day is when? Judgment is set on the third day. Okay, I remember. This woman also gave birth and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. Verse twenty onwards. So she arose in the middle of the night, took my son from my side, while a maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had born. And Verse 22. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. And they spoke before the king. This true. Three day old baby they all look alike. I've said this before. With no regret, all babies when they are born look like monkeys. That's the only time I believe in evolution. And but of course, being a very kind pastor, I always will tell the parents, "Your child looks deadly. Super. They look alike. They all look alike. But not to the mother. Even if it is a day old, the mother knows the difference. Mother knows the difference. The dead of the night, one mother rolled over the child, killed the baby." To cut dead baby, put on the other babies, there's an exchange taking place. In the morning when the real mother, now we know the end of the story, so I'm telling you, there's no plot here because we already know it. Suspense here, we already know it. So the real mother always knows her child. Doesn't matter whether it is one day old, two day old, or three day old. What is the moral of the story? God knows his children, whether they are an hour old or a two day old, he knows them. You can't fool God. He knows who his children are and who are. He knows who is alive and who is dead. Who knows? He knows the children who were smothered by their own parents. Whose faith was smothered by their own parents. He knows it all. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Lord is saying. So there is. There is an information available. What is the information available? Two women, two babies, three days, one baby is died dead, one woman's word against the other. No CCTV camera, no recordings, no DNA testing available, no witnesses. You have knowledge. Now, like we looked in the earlier, now even Understanding can be confusing. Why? Because one said, that is my child. The other said, that is my child. So what do you do? So you have wisdom. Sorry, you have knowledge, you have understanding. But there are times when even knowledge and understanding will not help you. Now have knowledge. And you have understanding, clear understanding of the situation too. But how do you apply How do you bring the justice? The problem at the end of it, when your verdict is over, there should be justice and the righteousness of God should be lifted up. That is the whole premise. That is why God said, seek first what? Righteousness. Kingdom of God and righteousness. If that is your object, you will always seek knowledge, understanding and wisdom because only through these three you will make a right judgment in your life and the end of it is the righteousness of God that is exemplified, which is glorified. Solomon knows this is about God and His righteousness. Because His kingdom is established in righteousness. The scepter of His kingdom is righteousness. You have knowledge, you have understanding. So we come to verse 23. Yes. And the king said, "The one, one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. He says, I have knowledge, I have understanding. It is like Proverbs about the two fools. Now, which one is trying to make a fool out of me here? Solomon is. Now, you need what? Wisdom. So, in verse 24 and 25, he says something. The king said, bring me a sword. And they brought him a sword before the king. Nobody would have ever thought, nobody, when the fellow who is bringing the sword has no clue what is the sword being brought for. Bring me a sword." sword. The king said, divide the living child into two and give half to one and half to the other. He said, now there has to be justice. Both of you are claiming this child is yours. Each is saying, so okay, do one thing. I'll do one thing cut the child in the two, give them each a half. There is a risk. There is a risk. What if both of them kept quiet? There lies wisdom. In his heart, he had wisdom. He knew the real mother would respond. I am talking about real mothers of those days. Would respond even if she was a harlot, she would respond because her maternal feelings never went. Today's mothers in the West, especially, there are no feelings, they will throw their child in the garbage bin and said whoever wants can take it. But he knew, he knew the real mother would respond with compassion. And in verse 26, you will see. The woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she earned with compassion for her son and she said, Oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Did you see? That's why I said, What would Solomon have done if both of them had kept quiet? Do you think you would have allowed the sword? To kill the baby and break another law of God when he's uphold the righteousness of God when he sees at the last moment, like God on Mount Moriah, would have said, "Stop! Take the baby and put in the charge of the palace. And let him grow up as one of the children here." They both don't deserve the child. That's exactly what governments do today. That's why CPS is there for. What is that? Child Protection Services, where they go and pick the children from their own parents because the parents have abused them. Where did this principle come? CPS didn't begin in India. It began in the Christian Western nations where they knew that when parents become irresponsible and start torturing and abusing the very ones they are supposed to have compassion, protect, then the state has to take the children away from them and protect them and bring them under their care. It was a very Christian concept. That's what I said. If they had been quiet, still the righteousness of God would have been lifted up. Are we getting the picture? Therefore in verse 27 and 28 scripture says, So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. They understood Wisdom of God. Why do we need wisdom? For exams? for promotion in your company? Okay, that's how we use James chapter 1, verse 5, or for justice. So the righteousness of God can be lifted up in our lives. Why do you want wisdom? Do you see the end of wisdom? At the end of wisdom, justice will come, and when justice comes, people will fear God. Because they know the justice of God has been uplifted. Uplifted. In Psalm 14 and verse 1 and 53 and 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no, there is no, fool has said in his heart, there is no, God. You may have a PhD, you may have all the doctorates in the world, but if you have said in your heart, there is no God, you are a, Fool. You don't have wisdom. You have acquired knowledge. You don't have wisdom. Maybe teaching in an Ivy League university. Harvard, Princeton. Any, anyone? Your name may be celebrated in the newspapers but God says you are a fool. Why? You do not have wisdom. You only have knowledge. That even, that even not proper knowledge. Even that knowledge is faulty. Because you have no wisdom. In Psalm 53 verse 1 also the same thing is mentioned. The fool has said in his heart, there is no, there is no God. The world is full of scholars, full of knowledge, and full of their own foolishness. Have you noticed every political leader is surrounded by intelligent people. All political leaders, as soon as they rise to power, the first thing they select is a set of counselors. And all are specialists in their field. With all the specialists in every field, the world is only going to more and more chaos. Why? Because none of them have wisdom. None of them have. Yet in the book of Daniel it is written, every king came and went. Different, different dynasties came. Different, different Persians, Medes, all are coming. Everyone sought after and said, Daniel, you be my counselor. Why? Because he was wise. He had the wisdom of God. Today, is there any king, any ruler who has wise counselors? A man or a woman who fears God? The knowledge without wisdom is useless. That's why this world is spiraling down. Because there is no wisdom. Because true wisdom can only come from God. It cannot come from anywhere else. Solomon was very humble. That's why he asked. He was meek. He said, I'm just a child before you. Just a child before you. Remember his sons? And the wise counselors, the people came and told, I think Rehobab, one of the, Rehobab said, no, your father taxed us so much, please decrease the taxes. So he asked his counselors, they said, yes, yes, decrease the taxes. Then he went and asked his young counselors, what should they do? They said, no. If your father, the exact words I forgot. Yeah, if my father, um, Beat you with stripes, I shall beat you with scorpions. Increase the taxes. The kingdom split. The king had to run away for his life. No wisdom. While his father was meek, very humble, asking God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. These are your people. I need wisdom to rule. In James chapter 13, 3, you read chapter 3, you will see James will talk, God will speak through Apostle James about the two kinds of wisdom. One that is from heaven, one that is from below, which is demonic. Demonic. One that is from above. The first thing he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first, it's pure. Pure. It's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Wisdom. How do you know? Your wisdom or my wisdom or anybody's wisdom is from God. Look for this. Characteristics in that wisdom. In that wisdom. It's peaceable. It's pure. It is peaceable. Do you know peace is not an absence of war? Peace It's a result of war. It's a result of war. Genuine peace is the result of war where you have subdued your enemies. That's when peace comes. Otherwise it will be always like india pakistan border. 1947, 2017, every day people are dying. Why? You never defeated them. They never defeated you. So there is no real peace. If we had crushed them in 1948, we would have had peace all these years. Are you getting the picture? Peace is the result of war. Let's leave aside. Let's look at real peace in the kingdom of God. First Kings chapter 4 and verse 25. Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his wine and under his fig tree from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Do you know the result of wisdom? This we are given here in practical terms, which we can apply in spiritual terms in the new covenant. Understand how we study old and new. The physical examples are given in the old. The spiritual metaphors are for us. We learn from that. Because Solomon asked for wisdom, and the wisdom was from above, and it was pure, it was first peaceable. And there is peace all the days of Solomon because he administered justice in the wisdom of God and therefore there was righteousness and people enjoyed peace. People enjoyed peace. Enjoyed peace. But how did this peace come? How did this peace come? Look at what he did as a young man when he ascended the throne. He listened to the counsel of his father. First Kings Chapter 2, verse 25. Have these four verses which I gave you. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaya of Jehodiah, and he struck him down and he died. First enemy gone. Verse 26. And to Abhyadar, the priest, the king said, Go to and thoughts to your own fields for your deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted. Every time my father was afflicted, he says, I'm showing you mercy. I should be killing you, but I won't kill you. One reason I won't kill you because you carried the ark, you are a priest. There was a time when you were faithful to God before you fell away. I will look at that and I will show mercy, but you will never be a priest again. You can go and retire. Third one. So Benaya, the son of Jehada went up and struck and killed him and he buried in his home. Who is this? Joab. Joab is killed. And the third, 46. Verse 36. Can we have it? Okay, 46. So the king commanded Beniah, the son of Jahadi went out, struck him down and he died and the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Who is this? Shemmai. Job was the arrogant one. Was the arrogant one. He was very arrogant. He wouldn't listen to, listen to David. Though David was king, he always often did not obey David's instructions. He is the one who kills Absalom. David had told don't kill Absalom. But he killed Absalom. And do you know why he had this arrogance? Why he had that pride that I can defy the king? Because he knew something about David others did not know. That's where his pride, his arrogance came. When David had committed adultery and tried everything to hide it and then he got Uriah killed, who was the one to whom the letter was sent? To Joab. He said, take Uriah, put him in the fall friend, let him die. And then say it happens. Joab knew something about David which others did not know. Therefore, he used that information to defy David. Let me explain to you. There is in us this enemy who may know the weaknesses, the secrets of our fathers, our elders, and we use that information to defy them. God says, kill that enemy in you. That is a physical example. This is a spiritual example. Kill that enemy in you. We used as an excuse not to be subject to God's righteousness. That's the first enemy you have to kill. First enemy you have to kill. There is in us. Always looking for a loophole. You know you heard, you know your father said, you know your mother said, you know that you heard from this servant of God, you know heard from this teacher, but you don't want to obey. You know it is right, but you don't want to obey. And you look for an excuse why to rebel. You say, oh, my father drinks. What has that got to do obeying his word? Oh, my mother, she never prays. What has that got to do with honoring her? Oh my teacher, his English is bad. What has God got to do with you listening to him? Remember, peace is a result of war. First you have to kill the enemies within, then you fight the enemies outside. We are not able to win our battles outside. Life is full of troubles, trials, and we are not able to overcome on a day to day basis because we are not able to battle the enemies within. First, kill that one. Then there is Abiathar. Abiathar is the religious spirit. For a season, you were faithful to God. Now you have no present testament. No present testament. When the issue came, Abiathar jumped onto the wrong side. He went with went with Adonijah. He did not have discernment to know Solomon is the one chosen by God. He went on to this side of Adonijah. If Nathan hadn't Come and awaken David. And David hadn't taken the steps. Solomon would have been dead. Adonijah would have been the king. And Abiyadur would have become the priest. Continued. But you made a mistake Abiyadur. You didn't understand the plan and the purposes of God. Knowledge of scriptures alone is not enough. It is not enough to be faithful to God. For a season in your life. You need to be faithful to God. And God's choices all the days of your life. Be careful. Be careful. If Jesus were to come today, why do you think you will go to heaven in the rapture? Why? Because you are faithful yesterday or you are faithful today? Today. He's a living God, right? He's not a God of the past. He's God of the present and the future. Living. A piyadar is your past. He's not faithful today. Is your faith in your past or is your faith in today? Faith is always connected with today. It is not connected with yesterday. You have to kill Abhyatar. But don't kill Abhyatar because he had a good testimony once in a time. So just exile him. I'll remember that you carried the ark. I also remember, when my father was afflicted, you were afflicted with my father. When my father went out of Jerusalem because of Absalom, you also took the ark and tried to follow my father. My father said, no, don't come. The ark should remain in Jerusalem. You go back. I remember. You shared in the afflictions of my father. Therefore, I will not forget that. But you cannot continue as priests in my reign. You need to move on. Do you have any clue what Abiyadur missed? Do you have any clue what Abiyadur missed? In the next chapter, 5, 6, 7, 8, what is going to happen? The temple is going to be built, but with the consecration of the temple, the greatest even in Israel's life, Abiyadur won't be there. Why? Because you were not faithful till the end. Fight these enemies. In us, not in others, in us. And then scripture says, in the last days, who will come? Scoffers will come. Where is the assurance of his coming? From the time of our fathers, things are still the same. Do you know the Shimai, the scoffer? Remember Shammai, the scoffer? When the king was fleeing from Jerusalem, that was the fellow who took dust and thorns and threw it at David, the king, the scoffer. Kill the scoffing, mocking spirit in you when you when you hear about men and putting rights with God. It's ah God still time. Kill the soft scoffer inside you. Kill that scoffer inside you. The enemy is within us. Before we can overcome the enemies inside. He killed. All those enemies were internal to Israel. Not external. Internal to Israel. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. If you want the kingdom to be established in your hand. The kingdom of God to be established in you. Then deal with the enemies within first. Not outside. Deal with the enemies inside. And then. 1st Kings chapter 4 verses 20 and 21. Once you have dealt with the enemies inside, outside is easy. So the king, Judah and Israel was as numerous as the sand by the sea in the multitude eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. When was the promise given? To Joshua. When was the promise given? To Joshua. When was the promise fulfilled? Under Solomon. Man of peace. Because he fought his wars inside. And the kingdom is established from the river to the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. God say that? Behold I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall behold no means harm you. Your external enemies, Jesus said, mean no more. You do not fight flesh and blood. You fight powers of darkness. You can stand and they will flee. They will flee. They have no power over you because I have given you authority. But to have power over the powers of enemy, we know to have won our battles inside because they see what is happening inside. Therefore, we do not have the power to resist powers of darkness. Battles we fight. How the kingdom is established by Solomon because of the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge he gained from God and the people are experiencing peace and peace Real peace is a result of true wars. See the difference? Knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge sees a hole. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge sees dark facts. Wisdom brings an umbrella. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys it. Knowledge learns about the Day of Judgment. Wisdom prepares daily for it. First Kings chapter four, verses 29 to 33. And God gave Solomon wisdom, an exceedingly great understanding, and the largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. One prayer? One prayer, a right prayer, can change your destiny. One prayer. Look back and see the countless prayers we have prayed and nothing is changing. This young man makes one prayer. And that prayer aligns with God's heart. Scripture says God added everything. How many times in this church have you heard Matthew 6.33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. We go back and go after all these things. And when we remember, we seek his kingdom. It Doesn't change. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. He added all this because he sought God's kingdom and his righteousness. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Remember when wisdom is called, is always east, not west. No wisdom has come from the West. No religion has come from the West. Only philosophies which harm mankind has come from the West. Including communism, feminism, socialism, capitalism. Every ism is from the West. Every wise man has come from the East. That's why Bible is very clear that the wise men from the East. Understand that. That's why Christianity had to go first to the West and make them wise. Then they came back to us and we are struggling. With the wisdom of God. Because we look, because now what we use, what is is the arguments that we use to oppose the gospel, which is the life of God, is our wisdom. What are you talking about? Have you read the Upanishads? Have you read this? Have you read that? Brother, are you saved? Now what we do, we use this wisdom to oppose God's light. And then, Excelled, 31 onwards. For he was wiser than all the men. Few names are given. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. Some have been gathered. The rest have been lost. 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke about trees. From the cedar of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creepy things, and of fish. Everything. This is a man who went after knowledge. God gave him wisdom and understanding. He had knowledge, he had wisdom, he had understanding. What do you think he did with it? What was the ultimate result of what God gave him? What do you think the next five chapters in the Bible after first kings chapter 4 what does 5 6 7 8 and 9 talk about he built the house of god the question is with all our knowledge all of our understanding all of our wisdom what are we building the new covenant scripture says this is the house of god this is the house of god we are the house of god not this building building Individually and corporately, we are the house of God. Are we using wisdom? Are we using our knowledge? Are we using our understanding to build a house where God can dwell? What is that we are building? In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, scripture says, You are a chosen generation. Yes, like Solomon, we were also chosen. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were not once a people. But we are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. All that is true. Perfectly. True about Solomon. True about us. We were all like Solomon. Solomon. We, were not chose, we were not selected because we were smart. We were chosen before we were born. But now that we are chosen. What are we been doing with our knowledge? In First Peter, same chapter, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, scripture says this, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Doesn't matter what the world says about us. In God's eyes we are precious because we were chosen by God as a living stone. You also as living stones are being built as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What did Solomon use all his wisdom and intellect to? Build a temple. That was the ultimate creation of Solomon. If you ask the pinnacle of his reign, what is it? It was the temple he built. Solomon will be always remembered for his wisdom and the temple he built. God says, that is exactly what you are. You are my temple. And I am giving you wisdom and understanding and discernment. If you seek to build my temple, I will give it to you. Instead we ask for knowledge for everything else.
1: But are we building a
0: home where God can dwell? Are we building God's house? Not our house. God's house. So you come to the conclusion. We can have all these all this. What is that? Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and yet fail. And yet fail. Solomon failed. Solomon failed. He had understanding, he had knowledge, he had wisdom. At the end he failed. You look at this building. This building, where we are sitting. What is holding this building together? You have bricks, you have cement, And you see these beams. That's what's holding this building together. But there's something which you don't see, which is actually holding the building together. Do you know what it is? It is those iron bars that run through it. That is holding. The concrete collapses. The bricks come down. The cement falls off. Finally what will be left, it will be a skeleton of the iron alone standing there. It will stand there. That is what's holding this building together. Look, think about a scenario. It doesn't practically, scientifically happen. But think. The iron inside starts rusting. Let's over a period of 20 years, all the iron inside becomes powder. What will happen? The building will collapse. Is the concrete there? Yes. Is the bricks there? Are the beams there? Why did the house collapse? Because the iron? Rusted. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All this is held together by one thing. The fear of God. When the fear of God departs, your wisdom, your knowledge and your understanding will ultimately fail. It will fail. What is not there in the worldwide church is the fear of God. It's gone. What is not found in the modern believer, the fear of God has gone. It is that that holds everything together. That is why this wise man This wise man who had wisdom like nobody. Understanding like nobody. Discernment like nobody. Knowledge known nobody. His last words to mankind is this. He says in the book of Ecclesiastes. The last counsel of Solomon is this. Let us hear the whole conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's awe. He didn't talk about wisdom. He didn't talk about understanding. He didn't talk about dishonorment. He said one thing. Fear God. Why? For God will bring every work into judgment. Including every secret thing. Whether good or bad. So fear God. Fear God. That's another message for another day. Fear of God. Another message. We can have wisdom. We can have understanding. We can have knowledge, but all that makes no difference if we do not have fear of God. One wiser than Solomon. Solomon was the wisest. Scripture talks about him being the wisest, immeasurable wisdom. But one wiser than Solomon came and walked on earth. Matthew 12, verse 42, this is what Jesus says. The Queen of South will arise in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He's talking about Kuna Shiva. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. when you talk about the wisdom of Solomon, wisdom of Solomon, wisdom of Solomon, understanding knowledge of Solomon. He says, you know what? One greater than Solomon is here in your midst. And you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. He's telling his generation of Jewish believers, rabbis, Pharisees, scribes, teachers. One greater than Solomon. One wiser than Solomon. One with more splendor than Solomon is in your midst and not hearing what you are saying. How did you become greater than Solomon? Oh God. Jesus, when you came as a man, how did you become greater than Solomon? The answer is found in the prophecy about him. In Isaiah chapter 11, first you will see, they shall come forth far from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. He's meek. The first thing you find about his meek is very humble. From a small house in Bethlehem, a branch came. Khandan, short khandan. No great. Even today, even now in India, in this city, in this country, in this state, even Christians. Pride about their khandan and decline. You go to wedding halls, it will be sea. the police. And Jesse used a name because so oh, many names are there. All are proud about their family name. Here is one. The stem of Jesse, a branch. Who was your father? Jesse, who are you? I am just a shepherd. What do you do? I have a few cattle. That's a branch came out of his roots. Meekness, humility. The law, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of, so he had wisdom, he had understanding, he had knowledge and, and fear of the Lord. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And what does verse 3 say? Verse 3, that's the key. His delight is in the what would be our delight? Solomon's delight was in knowledge. I am going to learn everything about birds and creeping things and fish and plant from the cedar of leaven to the hyssop in the well. But he forgot the fear of the Lord. He forgot to delight in it. The friends of Jesus, what did he delight in? The spirit of knowledge. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of different, different sevenfold spirit is upon him. Did he delight in all of that? He was happy. But what did he delight in? In the fear of God. Because he knew that is what will hold it together. Ask of God. Ask of God. Lord, give me the fear of God. Give me the fear of God. Because most of the things which people do, Christians do, is not because they don't know what is right and wrong. Because there is no fear of God. Do you know what Abimelech said? Or Abraham, one of them said? I think Abraham. Abraham said when he came and to Abimelech's territory, the second time when Sarah is 90 years old and she's pregnant, he told Sarah, say that, you are my sister. Then when God intervenes and Abimelech asks, why did he say your sister? Because he said, one thing I noticed about your land is what? There is no fear of God. Church in the apostolic age began with wisdom, knowledge, understanding, Apostles are teaching. They have divine knowledge and understanding and revelation. The church is growing. Miracles are happening. All these things are happening. And incredible things are happening. But they were losing one thing. What was that? Fear of God. Suddenly, because they had lost the fear of God, a couple comes over there called Ananias and Sapphira. Peter looks right into them and said, Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Both died. And what does scripture say? The fear of the Lord came upon the whole church. Whole church. Be very careful. Can have all this. And yet to meet, miss God's righteousness. Because when you have fear of God, He shall not judge by the sight of His eyes, nor decide by the hearing of His ears. But with righteousness He shall judge. We are able to judge with righteousness only when we have the fear of God. Ask for it. You will receive it. It is not something which you can generate on your own. This is something from the Holy Spirit. Lord. People ask everything from the Holy Spirit except the fear of God. Ask for the fear of God. Fear of God. Fear of God. Honestly. So that when you make your deals, when you make your demands, when you make your business deals, when you do your work, when you write your exams, the fear of God will keep you safe. It is the fear of God that will keep you safe. That's what a man of God said when he went into prison. Scott went into prison and the servant of God went to him and asked him, why did you stop loving God? Why did you stop loving God? Why did you end up here? Why did you sin? Why did you stop loving God? He looked him straight in the eye and said, I never stopped stop God. loving God. I stopped stop. fearing Him. Stop. People don't sin because they don't love God. People sin because they do not fear God. Fear God. That's why they sin. The fear of God has to be restored. The honest, the reverence for God has to be restored in our lives before God can actually start moving into our lives. Moving into our lives. That is one thing God loved David. David feared God. Solomon lost it. David always feared God. And he brought the ark. When Uzzah was struck dead, David was afraid. David was afraid. David was afraid. So David never went against God. He sinned. He never went against God. So God said I know that man. I know that man. He fears me. He loves me. He fears me. Both balances. Love of God. Fear of God. That's why God gave every child two parents. How many parents? The mother exemplifies the love of God. The father The fear of God. That's why fathers are absent in homes today. That's why children have no fear. Masculated by the current system. And laws have been changed. So that there is children grow up with no fear of God. No fear of God. Understand. The two sides of God. Every child is given two parents. One to show the fear of God. The other the love of God balanced. We shall stand. We shall pray. We shall pray. I cannot pray that for the church. It's an individual prayer to pray the prayer of Solomon. But remember, this is the prayer. This is what we need to ask of God. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Give me, Lord. Because it's about you, your kingdom, and your righteousness. Father, we just come to you this morning. Your word says all these things are written in the Bible as examples to us upon whom the end of ages have come. From Abel onwards to the last saint. All this is not history. This is life for us. Solomon is life for us. David is life for us. We learn from these men have gone before us we are in your house today we have knowledge in different areas but we lack in knowledge of the word of god our call is to be a priest in the new covenant Yet in Hosea 4.6, you say, because you rejected knowledge, I will also reject you as a priest. I pray first to oh God, there will be a hunger in the hearts of your children for their knowledge of the word of God. For you said, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And as we acquire this knowledge, I pray there will be a cry from every heart for understanding and for wisdom. so that we know how to apply this knowledge in our day-to-day lives. But above all, God, above all, I pray, the spirit of the fear of God will come upon us and guard us that we not sin against Thee. Truly pray, Father, that Your spirit, the spirit of fear, of reverence, and awe of this holy God will be restored in the hearts and the lives of your people. For you said in the Isaiah, I look for one man who trembles at my word. Pray, Father. It will come as we seek it. It will grow in knowledge, grow in wisdom, grow in understanding. But we will delight as your son did in the fear of God. Because you said to keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Help us to imitate him. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We thank you for this place. Thank you for opening this door that we had a place to gather this Sunday. We speak your blessings over this place, Lord. I pray thousands of students come and go through the portals of this institution. I pray, Father, that many will hear of you, know you, and walk from this place, not with just secular knowledge on a subject, but they will go out knowing the living God, O oh Master. Thank you, Father. Pray you stretch forth your hands and bless your people once again. Oh, meet them at their point of need. Strengthen the weak. Heal the sick. Deliver the oppressed. And above all, Lord, guard our hearts, O oh Master. Guard our hearts. That we do not turn to the left or to the right from your word. And let it not depart from our mouth. Because you said, then you shall be prosperous and successful wherever you go. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, by faith, we lift up holy hands. And we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.